Yeah, it's, it's got it. Okay. Okay. When, when he comes up out of the water, there is a voice from heaven that says, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So now we are introduced to his title, Son of God, his deity. We had his Messiah, kingship through David, his humanity, and now we have his position with God. He is the Son of God. Then we had, um, in verse 4, the moral qualities of the king. Because after Jesus was baptized, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. He did not give in to the temptation, and he is sinless. But what does the Satan call him? He calls him the Son of God. If you're the Son of God, and it's if and you are, it's, this is taunting Jesus. Now you have to know a little bit of the biblical story of who Satan is and his origin. He was the top angel in heaven. And then he wanted to be God, so he was cast out of heaven. And now I just picture him. He's there. He hears this voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he's burning with jealousy. So when Jesus gets out into the wilderness and he's weak, he says, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread. He's tempting Jesus. Just like a younger brother might say, I double dog dare you. That's the way it was. Okay, so then we have, uh, from that time, what we read, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom has come near. And then Jesus calls his first disciples. All right, then in 5 through 7, which we have just finished, Jesus instructs in the way of blessings. This is not for salvation. This is for your lifestyle in the kingdom, and he's instructing his disciples the true character of what he wants them to be, and so he draws them apart to teach them. So the way of life laid out in Matthew 5 through 7 distinguishes Jesus' kingdom from the kingdoms that Satan offered him. This is completely different kingdom, one the world has never seen. And it's all born out of suffering, as we learned. Okay, now we have where we are today, 8 and 9. And if I made a mistake on my questions and I put the wrong chapters, so thank you, some of you, for pointing that out. Uh, Dodie is now my new proofreader. So in your questions for next week, I talk about Jesus being your coach, but I accidentally said couch. <laughs> so, and she caught it. So now you're going to know which is more comfortable, your coach or your couch. <laughs> so now he's going to relate the king's presentation to Israel in 8 and 9. Okay, and how does he do this? He starts out with Jesus' authority over illness. Jesus is going to show his authority and power to destroy the consequences of our fall. And he also that he has control over nature and death in these two chapters. But always remember that everything Jesus does shows his gracious and compassionate character. The first person who comes up to him when he's done teaching is a leper. And the leprosy in those days is a little different than the leprosy we have today. 
But any person who had leprosy was an outcast. You weren't allowed to be with them, you weren't allowed to touch them, and you could not be with them at all. So this man comes up and he bows to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you want to, you can make me well. Well, I love to pray for people. I wish I had the gift of physical healing, but I don't. Um, sometimes when I pray for people, they say they feel better or they, they say, but, but who knows how long it lasts or whatever. But what I, my passion most is for spiritual healing. That's where I want people to be healed because we can't always have physical healing this side of heaven. Um, I have experienced healing myself from a physician, um, and then I have prayed for loved ones who have what uh, in the old days you used to call afflictions, <laughs> um, and they have not gone away. So sometimes you need to learn to live with Jesus in your afflictions. That's the way it is right now. Later in heaven, all will be made right. But now Jesus begins with this leper, and he's going to show his willingness to heal him. And so he reaches out, and he touches this leper. Now you have to imagine yourself right there, seeing this leper come to Jesus, and Jesus reaching out and touching him. The crowd must have gasped, but he did it. And then he said, I am willing, be clean. And he was immediately healed. Now, I'm not going to go into detail in all of these stories. I'm going to be kind of like a rock skipping on the water today because there are so many stories, and I just want you to get the overall gist of it. But sometime, spend time with each of these stories and going over them for your own uh, edification and your own way of learning how to love Jesus more. So Jesus was willing, and he was healed. And then it says that he goes into Capernaum. So you can see on the map up here where Capernaum is highlighted in yellow. Capernaum was the hometown of Peter and Andrew, James and John. It was right on the Sea of Galilee, and they were fishermen. Also, in those days, there was a Roman garrison stationed nearby. Now, Rome was ruling most of the world at that time, and there was a people called men called centurions, and they were in charge of a hundred men. So one of these centurions come up, comes up to Jesus when he's in Capernaum, and he says, Lord, my servant, and the word servant here is with affection, somebody that he really cared about, can't walk, and he's in terrible pain. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And the centurion says, Lord, Lord, no, don't do that. I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. I know that I'm a sinner, but I know your authority. If you just say the word, he will be healed. Because I am a man under authority. I am under Caesar. When Caesar speaks, people obey. When I speak, I speak for Caesar, so people obey. And I know, Lord, that you speak for God. And what you say happens. And Jesus says, uh, I tell you the truth. I've not found such faith in anyone in Israel. Nobody understood that. Nobody understood that he was the son of God in the flesh and had authority over everything. But this centurion did. This man who wasn't even Jewish. He didn't know the law. He didn't know the Ten Commandments.
but he understood that Jesus was God and Jesus was amazed. So then Jesus starts talking about this man is like those who will come from all over the world and eat at my banquet from the east and the west. Everybody's going to come and be invited to this banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're all going to sit down and eat. I love Jesus' love language of food. <laughs> it's always about the feast. So, yes, we all love food, right? <laughs> but to sit down and eat with Jesus, imagine that. So, in this next story, we're going to see that. Because Jesus goes into Peter's house in Capernaum, and his mother-in-law is sick. And the fever that she has, it says she was thrown down. Now, those of you who have had that kind of a thrown-down fever know what that's like. And imagine it happening Thanksgiving morning when you were hosting. <laughs> yes, bad. It would be very, very bad. So I pray you all are well that are hosting for Thanksgiving, myself included, 24 people. I told my husband we're taking furniture out of the living room and putting tables in there. So. Okay, so anyhow, he comes in and he um, has compassion on this woman and he touches her and it says she immediately got up and started serving him. She is full of energy. He served her, now she gets to serve him. And she feeds him and it's a good thing because he's had a long day. First he was teaching, then he had the leper, then he had the centurion, there's crowds all around him, he goes in, he's hungry, he eats, and then it says that he goes out and he heals many Galileans. When evening came, many who were brought, uh, were demon-possessed brought to him, and he drove out spirits with the word and healed all the sick. And Matthew notes that this healing fulfills Isaiah 53, 4, which is, he took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. How many of you were with us when we taught Isaiah? Okay, a good many of you. I was privileged to have this poem. This, to me, is the most important poem and the most beautiful poem in the whole world. It's the Isaiah passage that starts, see my servant will act wisely, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. But then it goes on to say he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And this is the passage, uh, part of this verse that Matthew quotes here. So when he quoted that part of the verse, everybody knew he was talking about this chiasm, this poem. By his wounds we were healed. This slide is my screensaver. When I open up my computer, this is the first thing I see. And that's why I'm showing it here for you. Because look at the top. My servant will act you be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And the last verse. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great evil to buy the spoils with the strong. All that suffering is encircled by God's glory. Everything that Jesus does for us ends in glory. So now we're going to see that Jesus has authority over his di disciples. 
There's two stories here, and I'm not going to go into all the detail, but the first, Jesus says, I've had enough of these crowds. Let's go to the other side of the lake. And somebody, a scribe, comes up to him and says, wait, I want to go with you. Can I go on the boat? And Jesus says, the foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then somebody else comes up and asks him about burying his father, and Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. I want you to have life. But the point I want to show you here is when he says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay, we've had the Son of David, we've had the Son of God, and now we have the Son of Man in 820. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, and it's mentioned over 80 times in the Gospels. Why did he do this? Why did he refer himself as the Son of Man. Well, Daniel was a prophet. He was a young man in Israel. The Babylonians came and captured him, took him to Babylon, and there God used him in a mighty way. But one evening, he got this vision. And he says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. This sounds like our Isaiah poem. He approached the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority. This is what we're seeing in Matthew. He was given glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples, like the centurion, every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And that kingdom is formed through suffering, and it will never be destroyed. Anything that you suffer for Jesus, with Jesus, will never be destroyed. So, let's move on. Now we have seen that he has this authority over these two people that came to him. He, he knows who will follow him and who won't. Now, we're going to see that he has authority over nature. Jesus has had a long day. He gets in the boat, and now he finds a place to lay his head, and he's going to nap. I happen to love naps myself. So I titled this slide, Jesus Naps, Wave Swamp Boat, Dis Disciples Panic. <laughs> so he gets in the boat, and the disciples with him, and he gets in there, and I could just see him. Oh, he's so tired. He's going to lay down at the bottom of this boat. And it's not a luxury liner. It's a small boat packed with men. And he is sound asleep. And as he's sleeping, he starts rocking. Any of you who have been in a boat in a storm, you know what that's like, and it's bigger and bigger. I personally, I have been on a cruise where we went through a horrific storm. And I loved it. I never slept better in my life. I kept thinking, I'm in my mother's womb. This is wonderful. Uh, but anyway, so I just picture Jesus sleeping and sleeping. And the waves are coming in. And he doesn't care. He's just sleeping and sleeping. Everybody's soaking wet. And the air's starting to panic. And they say, Lord, we're going down. Don't you care? And he goes, what's the matter with you guys? Don't you know anything? Where's your faith? And so 
He says, You're, are, are you afraid of this? But he stands up and he says, Okay, wait, wait, be silent, stop, stop. And then just whack. So the men are astounded. They haven't learned yet what the centurion already knew. And they said, What's going on here? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Of course they do, because he created the winds and the waves. All right. Now, we're going to have his authority over unseen spiritual powers. The boat lands at the other side of the lake in an area called the Gadarenes. Now, there were men in a graveyard there who were demon-possessed. And nobody would pass by them because these men were so violent. But Jesus passes by them. And so, when he gets there, what happens? The demons start shouting to him through these, these men. What business do you have giving us a hard time? You're the son of God. You weren't supposed to show up here yet. If you kick us out of these men, let us live in the pigs. And Jesus says, go ahead, get out of here. Okay. So, why, why are they saying, son of God, leave us alone? Have you come to torment us before the time? Does that encourage you, ladies? That, that someday those demons that torment you are going to be tormented themselves. And they know it's coming. They know the time will be here. Okay. But, what do they call him? Son of God. Just like Satan. They knew. They knew who he was. They knew his authority. Alright. Now we're going to see his authority over sin. And you have to remember that Matthew, when he's organizing all these things, he's putting stories together to show you his authority. So he puts here the story of the friends who bring the paraplegic man. So this man is paralyzed, his friends bring him, and Jesus looks at this paralyzed man and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Uh-oh, there's religious people around, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they say, you can't do that. You can't say your sins are forgiven. You don't have authority to do that. And Jesus says, well, this to show you that I do have authority to do that. I say to you, now pick up your bed and walk. And he does. But this is the first time now that we're seeing that there are religious critics who don't like Jesus. And they are going to be more and more as Matthew shows us. So now the next thing he shows us is George, uh, Jesus' authority over critics. Now, Matthew is going to introduce himself into this story. And it says that passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. I have a friend who is um, doing her father's estates. It's been going on for four years, and she's having nothing but trouble with the IRS. So you begin to understand why people don't like tax men. But so people didn't like Matthew. He was a tax man. And Jesus says to him, come along with me. So Matthew stood up and followed him. And later, I love this, more love language with food, when Jesus is eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, <clears throat> A lot of disreputable characters come and join them. These are friends of Matthew. Maybe they didn't wear their clothes right. Maybe they had tattoos and piercings and hats on backwards. But 
the religious people did not like them. And they take some of Jesus' courses like this. Why is your teacher acting cozy with these people? They don't belong here. And Jesus hears them and he says, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? This is another feast of joy and acceptance. Now Luke also mentions Jesus calling Matthew to follow him. And he puts it before Jesus went up to the mountain to teach, which I think is probably what happened since Matthew records everything he taught. But Matthew puts it here for a purpose because he wants us to see that Jesus has authority over his critics. First with the paralyzed man and now with Matthew. And then we have Jesus with authority over restoration. And I call what happens next the story of the two dead daughters. A local official comes to Jesus and he bows and he says, my daughter has just died. If you come and touch her, she will live. And Jesus got up to go with him. And he's going in a huge crowd that are following him around. And another woman comes up behind him and reaches and touches his clothing. And she says, if I just touch him, I'll be made well. And she does touch him. And she can feel like this. And she is suddenly well. But he stops and he says, wait a minute, power's gone out of me. What? Somebody touched me. And in another gospel, <laughs> Peter says, what do you mean somebody touched you? We're all touching you. And he says, no, power has gone out of me. And so we're gonna, I'm going to take this point and sum it up when I finish this chapter because I want to put more emphasis on this. But anyway, after this, he calls this woman daughter, and he says, you are made well. Go, your, go on your way, my daughter. So loving, so wonderful. So then he goes to the young girl. He goes in the house, and he touches her, and he says she was just asleep, and now she's well. Okay. So then we have Matthew also puts that the blind and the mute got their, their sight, and they could speak again. And then we have the Pharisees again, and he said, how can he have all this power? He must have made a pact with the devil. So now we have Matthew's building this, these critics, more and more with each story. But Jesus goes on healing. But now, before we end, I want to just talk a little bit about this when the woman touches him. And Luke, uh, and this is the old King James Version that I read for the first time when I was about 10 years old, when I was going through confirmation, I read the Gospel of Luke. And this one just grabbed me. I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. Nobody translates it virtue anymore, but I love that. I love the word virtue, and that it represents Jesus' power, who he is, and what he does. And then we learn from Matthew 5 through 7, that Jesus blesses us with his virtue in our parched places. What does this look like? It looks, it's the result of Jesus blessing us with more of God and his rule. It's Jesus blessing us and embracing us in our grief. 
It's Jesus blessing us with his virtue to help us be content with ourselves. It's Jesus blessing us with his virtue to give us an appetite for God, to care for others, to want to be pure in heart like he is, and most importantly, to be peacemakers in our families. That's what Jesus' virtue, his power in our lives look like. When do we use this virtue? We are always ready because Jesus has filled us with his own virtue. And where? Wherever virtue is needed. At your table today, as you leave, as you drive in your car, picking up your kids, going to work, being at home with the family, virtue is needed every single second in the grocery store, when you're getting your gas. Virtue is needed every single moment. And it's there for you because Jesus has promised to bless you. Why? To heal others, to be peacemakers. And how? By the Spirit. And also remember that he taught that this is done in secret. We don't wave any flags. We don't expect applause. We just go about showing Jesus' virtue through our lives by his Spirit. Everything we do by Jesus' virtue brings glory to God the Father. And then to finish up chapter 9, Jesus has authority over the harvest. And he prays, Lord of the harvest, give workers. And next week, I'm going to teach for Kristen, and we're going to go more into what it is to be on Jesus' team in the harvest. But just to close up for today, We've learned about the Son of David, the Son of God, the Son of Man, his authority, his virtue, his compassion, and his joy with his disciples, with his friends, and it's some, mostly around food, so go out to lunch. <laughs> but he is our authentic king. Now, Sunday in church, uh, if you were at the traditional service, the brass band was there and the full choir, and we sang one of my favorite hymns. And you we don't have the brass band today, but we're going to try to sing it, okay? <laughs> so it's an old hymn, but to me it describes everything that these two chapters are. So let's try. Rejoice the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Mortals give thanks and sing and triumph
Rejoicing, ladies. 